Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Erin Fraser. I'm Matt Bose, and in this episode, we're continuing to explore all things spooky with a discussion of the popular subgenre folk horror and how it applies to Hindi horror films. Then, Tambad, Rahi Anil Barve's 2018 period horror film about a man with a thirst for gold in pre partition Maharashtra. Before we begin, we'd like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, home to First Nations and Métis people. Matt, it is getting closer and closer to Halloween, Mm. and we've really, well, we've sort of dialed up the spookiness in our home. We don't really decorate for Halloween. No one's coming over. (laughs) Yeah, we don't don't have any trick-or-treaters. I do, I have, I have one thing. Mm-hmm. My mother gave me a tea towel with a ghost that says boo on it. So. Yeah, I try not to look at it because it's too scary. It's too scary. And every time I look at it, I you know, freak out in the kitchen. <laughs> so it's too much for me. Uh, but we have been watching more horror movies. We've been indulging in that side of things. And I think that's our, that's our favorite way to, to celebrate Halloween is to, yeah. to watch horror movies. We've read a horror book. Going to parties and stuff was fun 10 years ago. Yeah. But... Uh, but now there's a pandemic. Now there's a pandemic, and things are different. <laughs> and we don't really dress up, uh, but we celebrate Halloween with horror movies. And mm-hmm. every year on this podcast, we do our Hindi horror Halloween episode. And this is part two. Yeah, th- this year we've decided to do two, partly because uh, I think neither... We I- should call this Halloween... Uh, what is it? Halloween 7, part two, The Quickening. <laughs> okay. Great. And then the actual subtitle, which I think will be yeah. The Ecstasy of Gold or Chthonic Youth. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, Matt comes up with uh, most of our episode titles. He's very proud of them. We, mm-hmm. we try and make them clever. My best one is still the Lagan one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I am a big fan of our Zabong episode title, though mm-hmm. I did steal it from Griffin Newman over yeah. at um, Blank Check. It's a bit so. of an inside joke for... People who like that show, but if you like our show, you'll probably like that show if you haven't listened to it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So this year we decided to do two episodes. I guess in somewhat making up for the year that we just watched Typewriter and dropped it like the day before Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> it was already Halloween in India. Uh, but I mean, you had been in Germany, so yeah. we had our reasons. Uh, but I think because this year we just kind of couldn't find um, a, like a horror topic or an episode idea. Uh, that we wanted to do that felt like one big episode and so instead we kind of broke it up into these two these two chunks so last episode we discussed pizza and boot police uh which i don't know in the end maybe they had a tenuous connection but the idea was just about hucksters and ghosts and people who don't believe in the supernatural having to be confronted with the supernatural Mm -hmm. i was hoping pizza would be funnier uh but it wasn't better (laughs) better (laughs) would have been nice too And this episode, we're doing something a little different. So our first half is going to be a discussion of the subgenre folk horror, which is currently like the most popular thing in horror cinema. I blame Ari Aster. Uh, Yeah, you know, he might be to blame. Uh, Or, well, maybe. Uh, And then in our second half, we're going to be discussing Tambad, which is probably the most critically acclaimed modern Indian horror film. uh, Or modern hindi horror film yeah uh and we've been meaning to watch for years and, and we also kept it in our back pocket in case we ran into a drought which we did yeah and also uh clearly 
the kind of it's clearly in this trend that we're seeing in horror filmmaking around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was one of the only Indian films, uh, it and a Bengali film, I believe, uh, were the only two Indian films that actually were tagged folk horror on IMDb. I went Hmm. through their list of like 170 folk horror films. So to kick things off, this episode is somewhat inspired by a documentary that you and I watched called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, A History of Folk Horror by Kayla Janice. Now, this is a, what is it, like a three-plus-hour-long documentary. Uh, We watched it at Fantasia, which we were able to watch from the comfort of our own home because Mm -hmm. they put a number of films online. Uh, Do you want to explain who Kayla Janice is? Uh, Sure. I've actually interviewed Kayla Janice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's kind of a film historian and curator. Mm -hmm. She runs something called the and writer. She runs something called the Miskatonic Institute, which seems to move all over the world and is a Lovecraft reference. And they do like film screenings. Uh, She uh, programs the uh, uh, All You Can Eat Cereal Party here in Edmonton, which was um, the Metro Cinema, which we're both affiliated with at some points in our Mm -hmm. prehistory. Uh, they would put on these big Sunday, Saturday morning things. Where you'd go in and watch old cartoons and eat cereal with the kids. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Take your kid. Uh, but she also is known for writing her memoir slash um, like film primer called House of Psychotic Women, mm-hmm. which that came out uh, at Dead Fest. They did a launch party. And uh, I Where went they showed to the brood. Yeah, they showed the brood alongside of it. And it's uh, her memoir and also talking about various movies she likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also written a book called Satanic Panic, which is talking about the mid-80s sort of freak out over Dungeons and & Dragons and um, rock music and stuff and how this kind of changed politics and changed society. She also has a publishing house called Spectacular Optical. Mm-hmm. Which has done a book on Jean Roland, one of my favorite B directors. Yeah. She didn't write this one. This was, I think she edited it or there's some other, like it's, she, she published do, it. She does like a call for papers basically, mm-hmm. and then publishes this book. And so Jean Rolat is a filmmaker with a laser focused interest <laughs> in lesbian vampires. Yeah. And it's kind of essays about that. So she's a fairly interesting and learned person in Canadian film criticism. Yes. And so her doing a three plus hour long documentary on, Folklore was immediately notable to us. Mm-hmm. We uh, felt like we got to check this out. She's she's an interesting, interesting person. Uh, I think I, she was in town for uh, her book launch. I heard her speak. They are where they were out of copy, so I had to buy one later. Mm-hmm. And she would often introduce the cartoon things too. So we've kind of seen her mm-hmm. in action. Mm-hmm. And she's a talking head in the documentary too. Yeah. So this documentary, as we mentioned, is very long, and it encompasses kind of the origins of folk horror all the way to present day a lot of talking heads a lot of film clips and a lot of things it, i want to see yes and, and they're actually putting out a box set of all cover, a lot of them right yeah there there is um is it arrow i think it's arrow no it's severin severin, severin. yeah it's putting out a box set of like 13 of the movies that come up in this as well as some of the tv shorts which mm-hmm. i mean those are all english and we had no access to so that's really interesting to see, like this Christmas Halloween, the, the Christmas ghost story thing that yeah. they do there, and a lot of them are folk horror. Yeah, there's a big kind of package of folk horror that they are doing, and it's not cheap. And I believe the documentary comes with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put a, a link in the show notes if if people are really interested. It it looks really great, but I know that it is 
It's it's a lot. <laughs> Definitely watch the documentary. And if you're interested to check out some of these movies, it might be a good idea. I don't know if we're going to get it, but it, like it's it's certainly like it makes a good point for itself. I but a lot of them are streaming on Shutter. Yeah. And they do talk to filmmakers and discuss filmmaking traditions all over the world. But with the massive exception of India. Yes. Uh, it, it really surprised Matt and I that at no point were Indian films discussed. Icelandic or... movies are discussed, Polish movies, Laotian yeah. movies, but nothing from like the biggest film producing country in the in the world. Yes. And and I will say like I did appreciate um, that the film really moved towards a global scope as it went on, but that was that was kind of strange for me. It is a puzzling oversight. <laughs> so much so that I was wondering, like, are they doing a follow-up? Because, again, I wouldn't call myself an expert in Hindi films, but I have seen quite a few. And there are lots of folk horror stories. Yeah. And I have to assume that the other languages, their film industries, are also doing folk horror quite a bit. Because there's a rich, a rich background to dwell on. Yes. Uh, in my research on Indian folk horror, I didn't go too far down the rabbit hole of other of other language industries uh, but I did read about some Bengali some Assamese folk horror films so it, I, I think there's a lot out there well it seems like most places have kind of spooky folk horror in their history uh, mm -hmm. one interesting example that comes up in the movie is Canada where they talk to Jesse Wente who mm -hmm. is an indigenous guy who is the head of the Canada Council now, the chair. And there is not a lot of Canadian content in the documentary. It is a Canadian film. Yeah. Directed by a Canadian uh, with like a ton of Canadian input. Guy Madden notably mm -hmm. uh, produced some of the animation sequences that you see. Not a lot of, I think there's only one Canadian film mentioned. And it's an indigenous horror film. Yes. And it's a, it's a very good film. It's streaming on Crave for um, those in Canada. It's called The Edge of the Knife, right? Uh, yes, the English language title is Edge of the Knife. Uh, it also has a Haida title. Um, I'm so yeah, sorry. Don't don't butcher the Haida title. Just well, I think I can get it. Saga we Kuna. Yeah, I have no idea. Like those those letters. Kuna. Yeah, it's Saga we Kuna. I don't think it's a language you can approach phonetically. Is the problem? Okay. So, well, I tried. Yeah, but and people something, know I tried yeah something he said that really struck me is that <laughs> when they're talking about Poltergeist the American yeah. movie is that uh, there's kind of a trope of the uh, the haunted Indian burial ground this comes mm -hmm. up in Poltergeist and Pet Cemetery, two of the big ones from the 80s but he said really if you look at the history of North America everything takes place on a haunted Indian <laughs> yes. burial ground so really like Indigenous storytelling is kind of the basis of North American storytelling and should be kind of addressed that way. And there are some uh, Canadian folk horror movies I think I could rattle off. I'm sure that the uh, the NFB has kind of looked into some of like folk horror tradition and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some like animated shorts that are pretty creepy and a couple sort of like tax shelter era movies. I don't have them at hand, but there is some. Yeah. But we have to understand about Canadian filmmaking is that it's kind of like a branch plan of American filmmaking for the most part. Yeah, and it didn't, to be perfectly Outside honest, of Quebec. Quebec would have lots. It didn't bug me that there wasn't a lot of Canadian content in the, in the documentary. I think because you and I have read so much about Canadian horror filmmaking over the years. That there's, a, there's a whole book about it called They Came From Within by Calum Battenstall, another person I've interviewed. Mm -hmm. We'll leave a link to it. It's great. And it talks about 
Canadian horror filmmaking from like The Mask, I think, which we saw. Yeah. Which I would say is kind of folk horror. It's like it, it's more like they go to Mexico, I think, and get this mask, but it's a, like yeah. it's it's haunted tradition that's coming to modernity and all the way up till like now. So Yeah, and there's a f- it, if you're interested in this, you can check the book out. In the in the film, like it'll it'll tell the audience like put on 3D glasses. It's fun. It was cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think because we're already so well versed in Canadian horror, the Canadian horror tradition, which is like Canada has a long history of making horror films. Nothing Cronenberg has done, you know, really fits into folklore. Cronenberg so. would be closer to like urban legends. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff is a lot more urban. Yeah, a lot more urban or suburban, like in the case of Ginger Snaps. Yeah, Ginger Snaps is kind of yeah. in this tradition as well, especially the third one because it's like an actual Wendigo. I yeah. Think. So getting back to the documentary, we I think this really sparked our imagination of just about all of the Hindi horror films we've seen and the ways in which we feel that they fit into the folk horror subgenre. And also folk horror is, as I said, extremely popular right now. So we do recommend the documentary, but we want to add a bit of like, I guess, I don't know, our own like amendment to it. Yeah. And so that's where kind of this conversation is coming from. But before we do that, I feel like we should catch our listeners up on the idea of folk horror. So folk horror was the term was first used in 2010 by Mark Gaddis in his influential three-part BBC documentary, A History of Horror. I have not seen that, but the origins of folk horror are vi- and kind of the early development of the, genre, the subgenre is very much British. I pulled up an article from Adam Scoville over at the BFI called Where to Begin with Folk Horror, and I have a couple quotes for you to help define folk horror. Sure. He writes, Unlike other subgenres, folk horror's very form is difficult to convey. Despite what its simplistic description implies, from the emphasis on the horrific side of folklore to a very literal horror of people, the term's fluctuating emphasis makes it difficult to pin down outside of a handful of popular examples. He goes on to write, It is the evil under the soil, the terror in the backwoods of a forgotten lane, and the ghosts that haunt stones and patches of dark, lonely water. Uh, I think any discussion of folk horror needs to point out the what what's called the unholy trinity kind of the first three films that horror scholars point to and the documentary certainly points to as originating this idea in movie form because there's yes. lots of like literary forebears but these three movies are standing out as like okay this is when it's starting to solidify as a genre yes subgenre subgenre yeah uh, so they are witchfinder general blood on satan's claw and The Wicker Man. I've only seen The Wicker Man. Yes. The Wicker Man, I think, is certainly the most popular. I know Witchfinder General's on Shudder, so I would like to catch up with it. It looks kind of like a rough watch. Yeah. Uh, and Blood well, on Well, from what I know about that, the actual guy, like he was kind of a gross guy. Yeah. And Blood on Satan's Claw, I think, looks really interesting. So I, I would like to catch up with the two I haven't seen. And I want to rewatch The Wicker Man. I've been wanting to rewatch The Wicker Man since I saw Midsommar. Uh, Anyway, so Scoville says about these three films, all three films work through an emphasis on landscape, which subsequently isolates its communities and individuals, skewing the dominant moral and theological systems enough to cause violence, human sacrifices, torture, and even demonic and supernatural summings. So, Matt, what is your interpretation of folk horror? If If you were to explain it to someone and you didn't immediately have some quotes there, how would you describe it? Well, when I... When we were talking about Canadian stuff just now, I remembered a piece I actually wrote for Luma Quarterly oh. about uh, Jeremy Shaw's Quantification Trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
put a link in there. It's a shameless plug for my own writing. It's something I'm pretty proud of, actually. Uh, but that was an art installation. That was these three movies where, like, isolated subsets of humanity kind of contact a weird sort of digital divine. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one, which is called Quickeners, so this is using kind of um, footage of like West Virginia snake handlers uh-huh. and uh, yeah. like tying that into his sort of theory about people merging with machines. If I was to if I was to link Shaw to folklore, it's that one because the idea of like ancient traditions mm-hmm. and sort of like hidden places that have been excised from modernity or that people are just turning back to again. Yeah. And like uh, they're rejecting modernity. It's the it's the conflict of like modernity versus nature and the past. Yeah. And I think that the Shaw one works in that sense. The other ones are like kind of cyberpunk stuff, but that one kind of links to it. And it is that, that interplay and the fighting between non-believers from the modern world typically Mm -hmm. running up against believers from the old world or people who have converted or like just belief essentially yeah so there's an expression that that is used in the the documentary that i really liked uh, where they say we don't go back Mm -hmm. so often for horror films uh, and and some can be period pieces, some can be contemporary, I think kind of based so far on some of the examples we've given, and obviously Tambad, which we're going to discuss, is a period piece. The idea that we don't go back is we don't go back to these older ways of life, these older traditions, a much more superstitious culture and way of living. Mm-hmm. We have progressed past that, and there is fear or ha- of... Or have we? Are the old traditions we? correct? Um, and there is fear of the old traditions. There is fear of the old ways. They are thought of as, again, more superstitious, more barbaric, more violent. And so that's why you see a lot of folk horror films that are about cults. Cults. There's also a strong connection to the land. There's, Fertility. Yeah, exactly. So it's like there, there's something in the land that has kind of gotten into these people or the land (laughs) needs to be appeased something i hadn't really thought of like stephen king's children of the corn that makes sense but Mm -hmm. uh the documentary talks a lot about shirley jackson's the lottery yeah which was made into a movie and that movie like uh, took place in the modern day but it is a weird tradition of like murdering one person each year yeah and they need to do that so that the you know the harvest comes in i don't even remember what they did it for it was just sort of like that's the way it's done yeah but that that's a folk horror tradition yeah so i have some popular examples that i think mostly hollywood examples that i think listeners might be familiar with i think a lot of you have seen these movies you may, you just may not know that they're part of this mode of filmmaking yeah so pet cemetery mm-hmm. which is both of them as as you mentioned jesse Winty with the indian burial ground again Indian burial ground in quotes uh, the Blair Witch Project mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think came up in the documentary which now that I think about it really surprises me because uh, I think what were you saying kicked off folk like contemporary folk horror I think it's really the Blair Witch Project is responsible oh right you were saying Ari Aster I was like I think it goes back to I th- Blair well Witch Ari Aster I think is probably it's that elevated horror and people are going back and looking at yeah. it. But so the Blair Witch Project is interesting because what they're actually investigating is folk horror. Yeah. But they're also in the middle of inventing like found footage, found footage yeah. which for the most part is not folk horror. 
No, for the most part is not. But it's interesting that you get this one film that seems to have really kicked off two huge trends in horror filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, I think folk horror maybe took a longer time to kind of come to the forefront. I mean, folk horror also pre- predated found footage. Yeah. It's just, it, it kind of, the Blair Witch Project was so big. Yeah. That yeah. it put people into the uh, mind space of it. Yeah. Uh, so we have Kill List. Uh, and also a field in England from Ben Wheatley, continuing that British tradition. Two great movies. Uh, and then I think we get to kind of the big ones that I think are dominating a lot of the conversation about horror right now, Hereditary, The Witch, and Midsommar. Yeah, and I have not seen The Witch, but I have seen Hereditary, Midsommar, and like it kind of makes sense. And I think mm-hmm. there's an interesting distinction to be made between folk horror and urban legend here, because... Yeah. What happens in Hereditary is not too dissimilar from It Follows, but no. It Follows is an urban legend about, like, if you have sex with somebody, this relieves you of the curse of this thing that comes yeah. to get you, which, if, it, if there had been a cult that erupts around this thing and it's like a, uh, a medieval legend or something, then it would be folk horror, but because it's being done by teenagers nowadays and we don't actually know the, mm-hmm. uh, where this comes from, it's urban legend. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's the distinction there. Yeah. And I think all of those examples we can see kind of coming from the very much kind of like the British tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the documentary does point out that over in Japan, there's a completely different tradition of folk horror films. And so that's where you get things like Kwaidan, uh, Onibaba, Kuroneko. Um, over in Korea, there's films like The Wailing. So this is not isolated to English language filmmaking traditions. And it's not like witch finders and like what we in the west would call pagan type stuff it's not always that it's it's tied to the traditions of each individual country yeah so it plays upon folklore and myth in an interesting way and it works with like whatever history you're making Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and while you know like this unholy trinity is the thing that kind of kicks it off in terms of filmmaking it does go all the way back to like Haksan the mm-hmm. silent film about witches. <laughs> so like, movies about witches <laughs> yeah. can kind of be lumped into folk horror. And but I- stuff like La La, La, La Roña in uh, Mexico, yeah, like half urban legend, but also half like uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is kind of a fuzzy def- definition a lot of the time. So before we get to how we see the subgenre in Hindi filmmaking, Hindi language filmmaking. Specifically I- the ones we have seen. Yes, I am curious as to what you th- why you think this is popular because I I have some theories. I have some observations. Okay. Do you want mine first? No, I'll go okay. first. I would say that a rejection of modernity mm-hmm. is typically associated with the rise of conservative thinking. Mm-hmm. And most places in the world are kind of in a conservative zone right now. Electing mm-hmm. conservative politicians, rolling back gay rights and trans rights and uh, abortion and all this stuff. And if there's a, a mythology you can point to saying, um, maybe we don't worship the old ways exactly in the cities, but out in the, out in the country, they're still important and they're still powerful. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to believe in the hereditary cult or the midsummer cult or whatever to acknowledge that it's powerful, right? Mm-hmm. It is literally killing people and all sorts of crazy shit is happening. So I think that we're kind of 
examining this. People, uh, filmmakers are examining this, and more importantly, audiences are responding to it because of societal trends that we're scared of. You could also look to uh, vampires 10 years ago mm-hmm. or zombies in the 80s, like, oh, consumerism. Exactly. Or, zombies are all about consumerism. I yeah. don't know if people know that. So I think that it's kind of... Right now, it's de rigueur to be worried about conservatism and people who are stuck in the past Mm -hmm. and don't want to engage with modernity. That's why I think that it's feeling relevant now. Do you know what trend I think that uh, this is also a part of? No. Cottagecore. (laughs) Okay. No, think about it. Goblin core. (laughs) There is this whole current trend about. Mostly in women's fashion. Yes, mostly in women's fashion. About retreating to the pastoral. Yeah. About a simpler time. About embracing uh, this fantasy idea of rural life. The first 10 minutes of straw dogs. <laughs> That's what people are after. Oh, God. <laughs> and I I think this is part of it. I think this is part of this anxiety and this tension. And I, I completely agree with you about... So it's a rejection of modernity. I don't yeah, want to be on my computer all day. I completely agree with you about the rise of conservatism and the re- rejection of modernity. I just wanted to point out, I don't... Like, that we can see this happening in other places. Oh, yeah. And so I think cottagecore, folklore, like, these are both parts of this larger trend that we're seeing. See, I feel like cottagecore <laughs> kind of spins out of, like, hipster fashion. It's like... Well, I'm already dressing like I live in the 19th century. I might as well learn a useful trade. I might as well trade. add more puff sleeves. I might as well like learn a useful trade and start a candle business, but also move out of uh, Brooklyn and yeah. buy a, co- a but, cabin somewhere. But that's a very positive side of the of this pastoral idea. Yeah, folk horror is not. That folk horror is the negative aspect. Like, because yeah. there are there are good aspects to the old ways in the country. Like, yeah. think of. Thoreau, or being interested in one's history and going through genealogy. It's it's interesting to learn about your past and you Mm -hmm. want to keep this sort of stuff alive. Mm -hmm. But the dark side of this is, for the most part, imaginary because folk horror, to my knowledge, is not actually real. I don't think there are, there may be cultists out there, but I don't think that Cthulhu is real. And I don't think that uh, the Wicker Man or the Green Man or the Lordly Ones, I don't think all these things are real, but people are interested in thinking about them. Yeah, and I mean, I'd also point out that this whole kind of interest in the pastoral, this cottagecore thing, like, it's very reminiscent of Marie Antoinette. Mm -hmm. Very reminiscent of her developing that whole village at Versailles. And so I also think there's something um, very privileged in this trend. For cottagecore, yes. And I think... Because poor people also have cottagecore. They just don't call it that. Yeah, and I think think folklore is also aware of that there i think i think the better folk horror films um that are the the contemporary ones are kind of aware of that privilege there's there's a class influence especially the documentary talked a lot about uh appalachia in the states Mm -hmm. and there's definitely a class divide there between you know northerners coming down and not understanding the ways Uh, I know you had Deliverance on that list, which doesn't really have, like, the overt folk horror elements, but it is people from the city coming and not understanding country ways. Yeah, so Deliverance and Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, and Picnic at Hanging Rock uh, are kind of three interesting films that I saw in the conversation around folk horror that I don't think you'd initially peg as folk horror because there's nothing supernatural about them. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's important in going back to uh, Scoville's uh, kind of definition where he says um, 
from the emphasis of the horrific side of folklore to a very literal horror of people. Yeah. So it could be horror based on misunderstanding, based on cultural prejudices that you're not aware of, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think we've kind of laid the grounds as to what folklore is, why we think it's popular now. Uh, Let's talk about Indian folklore. Uh, So I think we see, or based on our uh, experiences with Hindi horror films, we kind of see the folk horror tradition going back quite a long way. Uh, and so we've done an episode on the Ramsey brothers, and we both feel that Piranha Mandir, which literally means the old temple, yeah. it doesn't get any more folk horror than that. And hotel and kind of plays hotel with this. Hotel is on a Christian burial play, ground. Yeah, Christian burial ground. Uh, yeah. And Virana, all three of those films, which we discussed in our Ramsey crazy brothers witch episode. cult with people with rock heads. Awesome movie. God, all, I love it. All reads as folk horror. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to go back to. Um, our, our our my my conversation with Brian Collins, one of okay. the authors of Bollywood Horrors, mm-hmm. who in that volume there is an article by Hugh B. Urban. It's called "Horrifying and Sinister Tantrics." So the tantric is the and I quote the dangerous yogi who uses his knowledge mm-hmm. and power to deceive, manipulate, exploit, and or destroy those around him as the embodiment of spiritual power that has been perverted into a dark and malevolent force. The sinister tantric is a favorite villain throughout Indian cinema, sometimes portrayed in cartoonishly simple stereotypes and sometimes with remarkable depth and nuance. So I think the tantric kind of plays into the folk horror and it also kind of stems from the British colonial period because the British kind of looked at uh, uh, religious traditions like that and said, oh, that's evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're doing an evil right now. You're a black magician. Mm -hmm. So kind of playing off of tantrics, that's how you get something like the boot police. Yes, I was just about to say boot police, which we were surprised. We were not expecting as much folk horror elements in boot police. Uh, So maybe it might have worked to discuss boot police in this episode, and we didn't need to break things up into two, but now we know. I don't know if they're specifically tantrics, but they're definitely they working... They go to that, that tantric fair. Yeah. yeah. They're not the evil kind. Though. No, they're not. I mean, I feel like it's flipping into its head a bit. Yeah. I mean, they are hucksters. They are hucksters, and they are definitely playing off of people's suspicions. Yeah. So we have Makdi by Vishal Barjwatch. I really wanted to find this film. I really wanted to watch this film along with Tambad. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a film about a witch. Also, it's a children's film. It's Vishal Barjwatch's first film. Uh, and I, I saw a lot of praise for it online, but couldn't find it anywhere, unfortunately. So, Sounds good. Maybe next year. Yeah. I, it, it looks like a lot of fun. And, and the witch herself and kind of the, the pictures I've seen uh, looks really gross. <laughs> and I, I, I was also excited by uh, a Bollywood horror film for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we talk about how there are not a lot of Bollywood films for kids. So I was really disappointed I couldn't track this down. Not a lot of horror movies either. So... A Bollywood kids horror movie is very, very special. It sounded really fun. Um, But continuing on with Vishal Barjwaj, a film he produced, Ekthi Dayan, which we discussed in our very first Hindi horror Halloween episode. With Bobo, the magician, as I recall. uh, Very much, again, a folk horror film. It's a bit more urban, but it deals with the the kind of the, the legends of witches. This is where we learn that witches' uh, feet turn around backwards. Yeah, well, where we learned. Yeah, we learned. Yeah. Uh, Pari? Mm-hmm. Again, I, I, if you've seen Pari or heard a discussion of Pari, I don't think it's a surprise to hear that's very folk horror. There's a with crazy baby-killing cult. Dealing with cults, ifrits, 
Wubble, which we discussed last year. Again, very much another another folk tale about a, a, a witch woman. A woman scorned who turns yeah. into a horrible creature. A Chudale, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Kriya, which I thought had the potential to come up in uh, the documentary yeah. in Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched because Kriya is streaming on Shudder. It's also was at Fantasia, wasn't we it? We saw it at Fantasia. The year before. And so I think it's kind of in the that kind of, that genre circuit. Yeah. Uh, and I was surprised it didn't come up. Do you want to, we, we never did a full episode on Kriya. We discussed it when we saw it at the festival last year. Do you want to talk a bit about Kriya and and how it's very clearly uh, dealing with folk horror or in the folk horror song genre? Yeah, so... The main character in that is a photographer who hooks up with a girl at a... No, he's a DJ. DJ. He's a DJ. He's a DJ who hooks up with a girl at a rave, and then she says, you should come back to my house. And her father has died, and essentially they're trying to do a ritual to put her father inside of him. Like his, yeah. His... They're essentially doing like a black mass, right? Like, yeah, because we you see they're doing a reverse of a funeral all in black. Yeah, yeah. and we so see... they have these old culty traditions. Yeah. So her family has, and and it, they live I, in a spooky mansion. Yeah, I feel like this somewhat ties into Tempad, where you have this kind of this family who practices like dark magic. <laughs> Something that was interesting for us about Kriya, which can't really confirm exactly, but it seemed like it showed you. The traditional Hindi funeral rites, Hindu funeral rites, uh, but kind of like perverted and backwards. And mm-hmm. there aren't really a lot of movies that show you that sort of stuff. So it's interesting to see like how bodies are prepared and what all the different uh, items put on the body mean and that kind of thing. Except it's being used for evil purposes this time. But like, we, yeah, don't, and I we don't really see that much of it in uh, regular Hindi films. And I couldn't confirm that they're perverting Hindu funeral rites, but they're definitely perverting funeral rites. Yeah, like they were going to burn him. So, yeah. uh, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a Hindu funeral, but whatever it is, like, they're doing the evil version of it. Yeah. So it, it's not going to match anyway. But, yeah, I like, I thought that movie was probably more interesting than good. It was interesting to see full frontal nudity in a Hindi film. Um, but uh, it was... I think I like the ideas more, mm-hmm. and the execution was not all there. Yeah. I do think it's worth seeking out, and as I said, it's streaming on Shutter. If you're into this sort of stuff, it's definitely worth checking Yeah. Uh, we have a couple comedic takes on Focor, Stree and Ruhi, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. So the Stree is a... Another well, scorned woman. They're both... Ruhi's a scorned woman, too. I forget yeah. what her monster name was, but uh, like Stree is this uh, scorned woman who's trying to find men... And spirits them away at night. And then Ruhi is uh, a woman who was um, about to get married and then kind of like screwed over, mm-hmm. as I recall. And then she inhabits John And they both kind of turn into monsters. They're both set in kind of rural settings and dealing again with these, and non-believers with these superstitions. Who come in and don't understand exactly. And then yeah. uh, Pankaj Tripathi, I forget who was in the second one. There's usually a helpful older guy who knows right. this sort of stuff, who is a scholar. Yeah. It's interesting how much of these films really touch on gender issues, which I mm-hmm. think is unsurprising. Uh, I have a couple shorts. So Story 3 from Ghost Story by Dipakar Banerjee. Mm-hmm. So that is the... Um, a guy goes to a town, and he's... It's like a war zone, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he meets some kids who hide him from the big people who at one point just decided to start eating the little people. And it's like a political allegory. But I think you could tie it into folk horror because it's like a really isolated location mm-hmm. and a bunch of 
rights and things that the main character doesn't understand at all. Yeah. And then we have Palace of Horrors, which is in A Field Guide to Evil by Asham Aluwalia. Uh, we watched this just for this episode and we're a little disappointed that it is incredibly short. It's actually mostly in English and it's set in Bengal, so I'm not entirely sure if they're speaking Hindi or Bengali. And it's in the 20s, yeah. I think. Uh, it's really good. It's, it's, it's very pretty. It's gorgeous. It's shot in black and white. Uh, but the uh, it left me wanting more. It just kind of it could leaves. have been a feature. It it ends on so um I don't know if that's what you want from a short movie. Like yeah. I, I think you'd want to at least satisfy and like leave it a little bit of interest for the the watcher. But this is just like uh, you forgot to do the ending of this. <laughs> so Asham Aluwalia is the director of Miss Lovely and Daddy. Both good. I'd really like to see him like direct a horror feature. Do you want to describe the plot? quickly of this okay so this one try not to give it away kind of in lovecraft fashion the main character is recounting something that happened to someone he knows Mm -hmm. so he's on an expedition to uh bengal to find freaks for a freak show the main the the guy he's with is a procurer for pt barnum i think and he goes all around the world finding people with physical deformities and weird stuff happening so they go to this temple, and there's a bunch of, uh, again, quote-unquote freaks there, and he buys them, essentially, but there's something in the basement, and they want to know what it is. And uh, the, Just leave it there. Yeah, the people in the temple don't want to tell them. Just leave it there. Uh, and then a couple of films that I think people might not necessarily like peg as folk horror, but I think we clearly see as part of the subgenre. So Madhumati. Mm-hmm. Uh, has, An earlier en- entry? Yeah, has some folk horror elements. And we were talking about Deliverance and Picnic and Hanging Rock and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and H10. Yeah. Very clearly fits into that kind of horror of people. Yeah, that's that's another one that comes up in the Bollywood Horrors book. Not NH10 specifically, but it kind of brings up a sort of... Um, Bandit Queen, right? Well, Bandit Queen is in there, but also secular horror of child trafficking and modern masculine women. So Mardani and uh, Dave, which is about um, uh, race riots or religious riots, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call either of those. Yeah, I don't think I would call those, but like... Folk horror. It's it's one of those things that's kind of on the edges. Like, I don't think I would call Mardani a horror movie either, but the subject matter is pretty horrifying. Mm -hmm. Whereas NH10, it's not really an occult thing that they happen into, but it's certainly a belief system that uh, people in the city don't agree with. Exactly. It, I guess, probably wouldn't agree with what Leatherface thinks about anything, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense on that front. I mean, any chance is a great movie. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not entirely surprised that a lot of the best Hindi horror films we've seen are in this subgenre. Uh, that kind of... It, it makes a lot of sense to me when I think both about kind of like global horror trends but also India is kind of like the perfect uh, place to tell a folk horror story. It's a very diverse country. Uh, There's a lot of superstition. There's a lot of differences in practices of religion from village to village. There are many gods that people worship Mm -hmm. and there's also a very strong urban and rural divide. And you also have the history of colonialism dating back to the Brits that yeah. kind of like, like I said with the tantrics, like demonized certain religious practices and drove them underground, which mm-hmm. is kind of where they become folk 
practices rather than the established religion. And it's interesting, again, to me, how much of these films... Again, we're saying this mostly from the perspective of people who watch a lot of movies, so don't take us as uh, (laughs) experts on uh, ethnography and religious studies in India, but the the films would certainly indicate this. Yes, and and what I learned about uh, religion in India from my, like, world religion class way back when in my first year university. So this is just kind of, these are our observations and our perspectives as outsiders, but I would be interested um, if any of our South Asian listeners uh, agree or disagree with any of these these observations that, that we have, if, or if they see, see things differently. And to tell us uh, movies from other uh, language groups, because... Like, we haven't really seen too many horror movies outside of Hindi stuff, but I'm sure there's yeah. uh, movies made I've, by other cultures. I've seen some Tamil ones. Yeah, but this is distinct from, like, exorcism slash possession movies for the most part. And distinct from monster movies. Distinct from monster movies, distinct from ghosts, I would say. Yeah. Like, something like Boot or Boot Part 1, The Haunted Ship, that kind of thing. Like, a ghost is not necessarily a folk horror, but if there's, like, a whole mythos around the ghost... Uh, or the spirit that's possessing people. Like, it's that kind of, it's the belief that makes it folk horror rather than I ran into a random monster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also the the roots in in folk tales, superstition, and again, that, that rural urban divide. The, like the Kitchkandi and the, and the Stri and the yeah. all of these monsters, the Chudale from... Um, yeah from Bobo. Indian yeah from Bobo but like from Indian belief systems mm-hmm. coming back and assaulting the modern world in a certain sense that's yeah. that's where we see the link so we're kind of I think this is a little bit of a canonization of some uh, Hindi films at least and I think again it's it's interesting how many of these films that we were able to kind of rattle off the top of our heads that we've seen that we feel fit into this subgenre how many of them deal with gender yeah we spent an hour after watching (laughs) the documentary which is a good documentary it's just the the lack of indian stuff is so bizarre that we felt the need to speak about it because we we could identify so many of these that seemed to fit perfectly and i i don't think it's surprising that um that folk horror would be a perfect kind of space to discuss gender because again it deals with outdated modes of thinking old practices superstitions and as you know as the world hopefully embraces more modern thinking women are treated equally and so folk horror kind of because it has these roots in ideas of the past become a perfect way to discuss gender and the patriarchy mm-hmm. <laughs> as we hopefully leave it behind us you can also- also, even think of that cult from OK Computer. I mean, it's in the future, right. but the anti-technology cult and how Jackie Schroff is like this uh, charismatic leader who leads them into uh, pretty dire acts. I mean, that's a future cult, but it's also sort of playing on like... You can have period pieces. Why can't you have uh, future films? I guess I hadn't thought about any folk horror movies set in the future. I mean, that's something so much to explore. But something like a canical for Leibowitz or something like yeah. things that we think of being normal now in the distant future are going to seem really weird and may be seen as horrible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's difficult to forecast the future in a genre, in a genre that is so, like, that interested in the past. That looks backwards, yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. It looks backwards, which is, I think, part of why. Um, and it looks backwards, but it's also... I mean, all, all, especially horror films, they're so tied to contemporary anxieties. So again, it's a, it's a subgenre that's looking backwards, 
but it's about our what we're currently facing. And so that's, again, I think why we see gender and women's rights um, and the treatment of women at the forefront of so many of these movies. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's interesting to me because I, I don't think it's as much at the forefront of the, the folklore subgenre elsewhere. Yeah. I mean... And there's certainly subjugation of women in England. Like, if you lived in 17th century England as a woman, it wasn't good. Yeah, but, like, I don't or really like know. Or, like, Pilgrim America, like, all that sort of stuff. I can't really think of anything that has that sort of... The I'll most look. I can think of is, like, fertility goddesses, that kind of thing. But it's usually, like, a male god that's being worshipped. Yeah, of all the contemporary folk horror films that are popular right now, the only one I feel like has a really strong... Um, gender focus is the witch and midsummer i think yeah not as much not as much i don't think it's as pronounced okay so i think we're going to leave it there um but we we'd really love to hear from you if you know if there's other films that you feel uh fit into this subgenre or if you have any ideas as to know as to why all the best hindi horror films are coming out in this subgenre my, is it just part of the global trend, or is it because of kind of some of? Uh, is it is it because Indian filmmaking kind of feels like it's 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 ripe for this subgenre? My back of the envelope guess: Stree did well, so let's make <laughs> some more of Stree's. I mean, some of these examples predate Stree. Yeah, but, I mean, most of them do. Yeah, but uh, okay. So uh, we're going to be listening. We're going to take a break, an interval. And we are going to be listening to the Tumbaj title song. At ATB, we make banking work for you. With expert and practical advice in everyday banking and investment planning expertise and management services with ATB Wealth, you can be confident that you're making smart choices when it comes to your money. We have a history of doing what's right for our clients, especially when times are tough, because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, visit atb.com. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. So, Tambad came out in 2018. It was directed by Rahi Anel Barve and stars Soham Shah, Jyoti Malshi, Dundaraj, Anita Date Kelkar, Deepak Damle, and Ronjini Chakraborty, Pushpak Koshik, and Mohammed Sanad. It premiered at Crick's Week at Venice International Film Festival. It was nominated for eight Filmfare Awards and won Best Cinematography, well deserved, uh, Best Art Direction, yeah, that too, and Best Sound Design. Uh, critically well received overall so mm-hmm. uh, this is a well loved movie I don't know if I've seen a lot of like Bollywood people talk about it a lot I don't know if it's really it didn't really hit like Stree or something where it no. automatically became like a new genre 
but it is like probably the best Indian uh, best yeah best Indian horror movie I've ever seen specifically Hindi but like probably the best one it's not my favorite yeah I I, I don't think <laughs> I, you, it, it's a little macho I love Street I'm sorry I love Street I, I yeah. don't and I love NH10 I don't like it as much as I like Street and NH10 I think those are better films um, but the hype is certainly well deserved and from what I was reading on Wikipedia they tried to make this film like this is the third attempt to make this film. It sounds like they've shot it. They shot it twice already and scrapped it. Wow. Well, that actually sounds sort of like the plot of Timbot, actually. <laughs> that that kind of makes sense. So the plot is told in a really intriguing fashion where you really only understand what's happening by like the last 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But you're getting the whole history of what's happening. And you only come to realizations of what the characters are talking about and experiencing over the course of the film. Mm-hmm. And I, I realize that this sounds like most like any narrative, <laughs> but uh, it, it really kind of throws you in at the deep end and doesn't show you a lot of stuff and allows you to put together the pieces and understand by the end what's gone on. So uh, the movie starts in 1918 in rural Maharashtra. And uh, there is a, a woman who is doing something for the local Zamindar-type Sarkar guy. Uh, kind of looks like she's jerking him off. I'm not entirely sure. Whatever <laughs> it is, it's gross. And uh, she's talking to him about how she wants to get the gold. Mm-hmm. So Tambad, well, before that, we should mention, there was this goddess who gave birth to 160 million gods, mm-hmm. but her first and uh, favorite was Hoster, who... Uh, rebelled against his mother. Uh, she had the ability to grow infinite food and infinite gold, and he was able to steal the possibility for infinite gold before he was essentially thrown out of goddom and worshipped in secret. Mm-hmm. So we see from the opening part of the film that this uh, rich guy who owns the village of Timbad, which was... Um, yeah, he's the Sarkar. He's the Sarkar. He uh, and Timbad was plunged into eternal rainfall by the gods, because this is where Hoster had his rebellion, I guess. Um, He has a statue of this god in the background, and we don't really know much about it, but he's obviously a worshiper. Mm -hmm. And the woman is saying, I I need to get the gold, I need to get the gold. The Sarkar is not in very good shape. Uh, We then go to her house, where she is taking care of her two sons, and also, who are heavily implied to be his sons, and also the Sarkar's great-grandmother, who... Well, the, it's the son's great grandmother. I guess, yeah. yeah. It, but no, I think she said he was. She was the Sarkar's great grandfather, grandmother, because she is a sort of ageless being yeah. who is very gross. <laughs> you yeah. don't really. You, we don't really get a good look at her, but what we see is not pretty. And they have to feed her every night. And if she starts to freak out, her uh, mouth is actually nailed shut, and she's chained to the wall, and she's kind of like very warty and gross looking essentially what you would be if you were like 200 years old mm-hmm. um but what they say if they need her to stop uh, uh attacking them or doing something is uh hostile will see you go to sleep mm-hmm. basically so the boys are terrified by this weird old lady that they take care of i would be too yeah she's um, ghoulish the this is where the cinematography comes into place because it's very much like lit by the cook stove essentially and torches mm-hmm. like this house is actually kind of big but you never get a good sense of it mm-hmm. because it's lit in, it's lit like the way it would be in 1918 in rural India uh, after a series of events 
one of the boys dies and the other one has to feed his great-grandmother and she gets out and causes a ruckus it's very terrifying and essentially him and his mother have to leave yeah they they leave to never return to tambad she says never go back to tambad yeah, they have i'll one, kill you they have one gold coin and she's adamant that they never return what the great-grandmother does tell him, though, is that she was the best at climbing in there and finding the gold. Yeah. And this is really all we know about her. And for some reason, she's like 200 years old. Yeah. The film then flash-forwards a number of years. It's the mid-30s. I think it's 33. Yeah. And it's our, 15 years later. Our young boy, Vinayak, is now grown up. He's played by Soham Shah. He's great, by the way. Yeah, he is great. He's got an excellent mustache. Uh, his mother has passed away, and he has decided he is going to return to Tumvad. He's going to go conquer it. And he's going to get that gold. He yeah. has a thirst for gold. And he does. We don't entirely understand how he's getting the gold at first. We are not going to spoil it. It is eventually revealed, but it is it is dangerous, and it is frightening. Yeah, I believe that the main character is a Brahmin. Um, they're very much kind of... We don't do work. Work is for the lower classes. Yeah. And essentially, like, he treats Tambad as like, okay, I'm going to laze around most of the time. I'm going to sleep with my mistress, just it's like the Sarkar did. Tambad is just his, it's his reserves of gold. Yeah, like, he just goes there like, oh, I'm out of gold. I guess I better drive to Tambad and go get it. Yeah. And it is sort of like a fairy tale, right? Like, yeah. it's like the goose that laid the golden egg or something. You don't really, if you're the person who's figured out how to get the gold, you're not telling people how you get the gold. Yeah. And you're not really making it easy for other people to get it. Um, and what are you giving up? What are you sacrificing? Yeah, there's a transaction. To here. do this. Um, ultimately, the film jumps uh, in the future one more time to 1947, uh, where he is becoming old and he needs to train his son to take over the responsibility of Goldfetcher. But 1947, what is 1947, Matt? It's uh, uh, you know, the liberation year. Yes. Uh, so he has actually lost his control of Tambad, and him and his son make a plan to go back one last time. Well, it plays into that thing. Like, he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I, this is my ancestral land. You know, yeah. I wasn't officially the Sarkar, but I'm of his descendants. And I just go there every time I need money. He never really thought, like, he had to actually own the place. Yeah. And his son, we should, well, maybe we'll do a spoiler section, because we should talk about <laughs> okay. how he actually gets the gold. But his son is not physically equipped to do it. No. Uh, and it is a pretty strenuous operation that you have to do. Yeah. So there's a bit of like kind of tension there. That This is where I think the masculine stuff kind of comes in because he's trying to prove himself to his dad. His dad is like kind of like a macho guy who is very reliant on his own strength. He, you know, sleeps with his mistress whenever he wants. His kid is his mother is just you make the babies. Uh, Importantly, she grinds wheat all the time. Mm -hmm. That's her job. He doesn't do anything. He just goes to get the gold whenever. But like the mother goddess who had control over food, she grinds wheat all day long and sells it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I think I could see why you don't like this movie as I much. I did say I didn't like it. I, I just... I think it's basically a masterpiece. It's, so. it's very good. I do agree that the hype is real. I think it makes a strong impression. It's really really tight it's well thought out it might get a little i might get a little slow kind of in the second act but 
I don't have an issue with that. I, I, I didn't feel my patience waning at all. I just didn't connect with it as much as I think I've connected with things like Stree and NH10. And I didn't find it as scary as I find NH10. Well, like if, NH10, if were, NH10 could happen to you. Well, yeah. If you were to ask me, like, the scariest Bollywood film you've ever seen, NH10, easily. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, Tambad is probably the best made horror movie and it's very well made too and so like this film is really well made though like it's, it's I, an art movie though though i do think some of the special effects let it down yes there is a reliance on cgi further and further along as you go yeah and and that, that until, cgi does not look as good as say when he goes back to the great-grandmother and she's got a giant tree growing out of her yeah the That's practical horrifying. the practical effects are amazing yeah and like the makeup on her uh, this other guy that's trying to get in on his racket, uh, what happens to him is very disturbing and also done practically. Like, it looks great. Yeah. And I just love the idea of, like, this guy who sort of had a sort of general idea of what was going on down there, who establishes, like, a set of rules for himself. Like, he's a one-man mm-hmm. cult who has figured out, here's how I get the gold. I have to do this, this, and this. And I'll train my son to do it someday. He sets up, like, a training camp, essentially, for yeah. his kid. His kid just can't do it. But like, he's he's essentially like kind yeah, his of his kid. There's a, there's something wrong with his leg. Yeah, or his he's, foot. he's 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 he's, a, he's got a lame foot basically. Yeah, he limps. But like, um, he's essentially through trial and error and not dying somehow has figured out how to uh, like tempt the gods basically. Yeah. And get away, like get around what is a like mythological problem. He's figured out. A fairly straightforward way to do it. And I, I just really like that. Okay, so I have a question for you. We see very much see this in a lens of folk horror, but do you think there are elements of cosmic horror? And now do we need to explain what cosmic horror is? Yes, I think there are. Um, <laughs> you I, and I are so, or maybe it's just me, like so obsessed with the minutia of different genres and subgenres and modes and styles. I think that this. And media. So when I looked it up, a lot of people apparently were wondering, like, is Hastar an actual deity? Yeah, I don't believe From Hindu so. mythology. But, like, on Quora and stuff, a lot of people were wondering, like, well, what is yeah. this? And what I thought of immediately was the king in yellow. Right. Uh, who I believe was uh, August Derleth. No, Robert W. Chambers wrote the, the book The King in Yellow. Mm-hmm. And then August Derleth, who kind of took over from H.P. Lovecraft in developing the Cthulhu mythos, worked yes. him in. And, and, and it, another name for the King in Yellow is Hastur, U-R, instead of A-R. Yes. And if you're interested in cosmic horror, it's very much a Lovecraft thing. H.P. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lovecraft, that's what he described, his uh, approach to horror. And it's about, like, ancient beings and... Ugh. Unknowable things Unknowable that things, if... Yeah. If a regular mortal encountered, you would go crazy because it's just exactly. too big for you to understand. Which I think that the main, like, what happens in Tabad kind of falls into this. Yes. And probably. I do, I do think there's elements of cosmic horror here as well as folk horror. I think the Hastar, Hastur connection is there. A Yellow King. Uh, the uh, HBO show True Detective also kind of flirts around with this. Yeah. And I would say that that show probably goes more folk horror than cosmic by the end. But, like, the idea of a king in yellow, a yellow king, that's kind of what is going sorry, on. Sorry, sorry, do you mean a king who is yellow? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, Thank a you. yellow man. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, there's a really, this is totally an aside, but there's a really we'll put good, a link to that. That was there's a, good a really video. good joke video of when True Detective was, the first season was very popular, where someone was like, have you, has anyone thought about maybe it's the king in yellow, like this, this yellow this guy yellow in king? all these shots, and then He's they eating ins- Burger King in the background. They inserted and, a king in yellow. Yeah. It was great. We could put a link to that. It was great. But we should probably, like, okay, I love this movie. Uh, it's very good. And... I think to talk about the four core elements, we should probably go into the spoiler zone. Okay. Uh, I think we should also say it's streaming on Amazon Prime with subtitles. If you want... I, I, I do know some people find this film a lot scarier than I do. It's pretty chilling at times, but I think I might just have like a suspension of disbelief, whereas something like NH10 just feels so much more um, anxiety inducing. Well, the events in this are so preposterous, right? Yeah, exactly. And since we're effete, you know, city liberal types... Going out to the country and running into an honor killing sounds much more terrifying than what is going on in Tabad, which... I'm really not looking forward to the road trip we have planned now. Yeah, it just... Well, Tabad kind of beggars belief. Yeah. Like, it's it's not something that exists in a rational world. Yeah. Whereas, unfortunately, NH10 does. Yeah, but this film is very good. It's certainly very creepy. Uh, it's very wet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very wet film. It is chthonic. Uh, and and I think it looks beautiful. It's got a great soundtrack. I, I really do encourage people to check it out. It's quite yeah. good. So the focal elements, though, are... Are we in spoiler zone now? Just checking. Okay, it is a folk horror film, I will say. It has elements of cosmic horror. Now, in the spoiler zone, we can talk about it. Yeah, okay, so he's essentially climbing down into Hastar's womb. No, not Hastar's womb, his mother's womb. Sorry, he's climbing down into Hastar's mother's womb. He creates, like, a, a salt circle, which is a pretty common, like, circle of protection that you see um, that, like, date like has traditions in... I don't even know where that comes from, but you see it everywhere. It's a traditional thing if you're up <laughs> yeah. against a demon or a vampire or yeah, something. Yeah, you make a circle of salt. They use they it all the time on Supernatural. Yeah, they can't pass it. I know um, it's not salt, though. It's grain. Oh, it's, sorry, it's grain. It's flour. Yeah. Because very specifically, again, Hastur stole the power to make infinite gold from his mother and was imprisoned in her womb for that. But he's always hungry yes. because he cannot make grain yes so he makes this uh the circle to protect himself and then he brings down a, a like, bread boy a bread boy a dough boy uh so like a full a of rocks of, too a piece of dough that he has formed into like essentially like a giant gingerbread man and then he throws that and then hastar appears within the womb he crawls he down the side crawls of the crawls down he gets very excited about the dough boy and then he has to vin- you have to pull down his pants basically yeah and then Vinayak has to step outside of the circle and essentially pull at his loincloth, and then gold coins fall down, and he has to try and gather as many as he can before Hastar finishes his doughboy, and then he has to climb back up. It's very... It's a very bizarre series of it's events. It's a very bizarre series of events. It's it's really, like, thrilling to watch. It's very creepy, and I love, again, that it has this kind of, like, fairy tale element. It's using of, like, nightmare logic, basically. Yeah, like, obviously, like, he's going to shit gold. Distracting this this thing with, like, something so rudimentary as, like, this crude doughboy, yeah. and then, like, pulling on his loincloth, loin grabbing all the coins. Like, it just And it then has... immediately 
buggering ass out of them. Yeah, it's it's good. It's but good. I couldn't tell it's if a great ha- concept. does Hester actually shit gold or is there just gold produced in his loincloth? <laughs> I don't. I I think he just the has film leaves this open. like an infinite money bag in his loincloth. Yeah, and later on by the end of the movie, I do really like that you immediately go to like a twelve year old boy and think he's like literally shitting gold. Yeah, yeah, but like. Vinayak by the end steals the loincloth too. He's able yeah. to get it at, at great personal cost because the amount of bread boys you bring down there is the amount of half stars that are down there too. Yes, and that reveal is amazing. But what happens so if you well get done. attacked by Hastar is if, that if you Hastar cannot die. You. If you if you get bitten by him, you're kind of stuck with whatever damage he did to you, and also you can't die. So the and grandmother, then, yeah, um, that's why she's still alive, and she's. Sat still long enough in that house for 15 years for a tree to grow through her. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, might actually be the most terrifying image in the film. Like. It is, because there's like le- it's it's a really darkly written room. There's Her voice is so hoarse. There's spider webs everywhere and leaves. And it, it almost looks like later on we see him actually going into the womb. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of looks like he's going into like a golden womb there. Because you don't, you don't understand what he's, what, what's happening until you, you get spelled out for you. Yeah. And the, the guy who's trying to steal his gold, he gets attacked by Hastar having no idea and doesn't know any of the precautions. He gets horribly mangled and is just stuck to the side of the womb forever and yeah. can't die. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's horrifying. But so where I think the Yellow King comparison comes in is specifically through the gold in his name. Like right. uh, the Yellow King, the King in Yellow is not like a golden deity in the Cthulhu mythos, it's sort of one of those things that drives you crazy. Basically, there's a play that can invoke him and drive you crazy if you see it. Uh, so that's why I think the link is kind of weak, because it's really just the name mm-hmm. and the color. But I think there's something there. I think there is something there about a cosmic horror and just the effect that the gold has on you, as well as Hastar, seeing Hastar, or like being infected by Hastar. Or not infected, but like... Changed. Changed, yeah. But also climbing into the womb of a giant unknowable deity is kind of something that would come up in a Lovecraft. It would just be like, if you saw this, you would go crazy and you can't describe it. But this movie is very matter of fact, like, yeah, there's the walls over there. And we we open up this door here. And my family's been doing this for years. That's how we made all our money. That's why Tembot is uh, cursed. Um, Yeah. Okay, so... Like, it's folk horror because... And do we want to leave spoiler zone? Do we want to stay in spoiler zone? Uh, so it's very clearly folk horror because it's, again, it's about superstition it's about like a belief in something that not everyone <laughs> that's not shared uh, wide. It's a very uh, small cult of Hastar. Exactly, it's a small cult of Hastar. Uh, it's connected to the land. I think it's very important that this film is pre-partition and ends with Indian independence, and that's when he loses his connection to to this place. You can imagine a kind of him. a kind of Indiana Jones scenario where they like. Oh, yeah, we figured out how to do this. We threw a uh, hundred guys into this situation and figured out how to yeah. get the gold. So Yeah. Yeah, so I think th- those things very much root it in folk horror, just kind of like, yeah, the small cult, the superstition, the that rural setting, that connection to the land. Like, it just, it, it, 
It's it's folk horror. It very much is. It's just not. And I think that's important important distinction that maybe we could have articulated uh, a bit more in our opening discussion. So hopefully hopefully you stayed with us. Uh, but when we talk about folk horror, it could be based on pre existing. Um, folk tales or made up folk tales they don't have to it doesn't have to be something that already existed yeah I mean I don't know if Stree was a real thing I know it's kind of based on some guys who disappeared and maybe like it's based on some superstitions something erupts after that but, but we know like the Chudale like that's based that's on that's from mythology but this is made up for the film and that, that doesn't, but it works as well yeah and that doesn't exclude it from being folk horror is what I'm saying yeah, yeah. It, it is so well constructed that it works as well as like a wicker man yeah. or these sort of things. Like it, it's just a really well done job of making up a new folk horror tradition. Yeah. Okay, so I think uh, think we recommend Tambad. Tambad rules. Uh, we're interested in your in our your thoughts on folk horror, if you have any. This and... is our doctoral thesis. We are <laughs> putting our foot down right now and in, in saying. This is the Indian approach to folk horror, specifically through Hindi films, which is the only ones we've watched. But, you know, I think it's important. And it was a weird omission in the movie. And it was. My, my only guess is that either they well, just thought it was too big and they couldn't do it. I, I don't. I think there was a lot of African um, uh, countries missing as well. Yeah. She, she did some South America. She did a lot of Asia. She did a lot of Europe, U.S., Canada, U.K. Um, but I. There's probably uh, some traditions in Africa that were missed. I think there was a couple, and definitely well, all of India was missed. It's almost in Southeast Asia there was a fair amount, and Australia. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that because the documentary is so well done, is so well researched, is so encompassing, uh, that's why it was so noticeable. And Whereas considering we're if, seeing a resurgence in the movies right now. Yeah, if it wasn't as well done as it was i don't think this would have stood out to us i don't yeah. think we would have noticed as much and so it's just kind of like it's the curse of competency yeah she did such a great job <laughs> she did such else. a good job we had to go wait but what about this it's just such a weird thing to miss yeah and and tambad uh, has also kind of played that the same kind of genre festival circuit that that created i'm trying to remember where it opened i think it venice. Opened at venice yeah yeah uh, so I think so it's, more than the genre circuit. I mean, it was on the yeah. art film circuit. But it played Fantastic Fest. Uh, so I think it is also um, the, like that people in that genre circuit are aware. The programmers, and, yeah. And one thing I will say about like genre film fans that I that I love and appreciate is they are far more interested in international filmmaking yeah. than your average film fan or than. Or film fans Most of people. kind of other genres. Like, I don't think science fiction fans are as interested in filmmaking on the other side of the world as, like, Superhero horror fans and genre are fans definitely are. not. Exactly. You're not checking out a flying jet because you like the Avengers. Exactly. And so I think that's one of the, like, that's why these genre film festivals, like Fantastic Fest, Fantasia, Busan, like, they're so exciting because the people who attend them, we have never... Unfortunately, we've never had the opportunity. I mean, we went to, to Dead Fest many, many yeah. times, and Dead Fest had lots of movies from around the world. So, yeah. like, they so were we, doing a great job with that. We've been to a small one, but we've never been to any of the kind of like the big ones. Um, but it's just there is so much interest in inter- and excitement for international filmmaking, and I love that. Yeah. And yeah, I just I, I think it's too bad that uh, the Indian cinema wasn't discussed in the documentary. But now we have put out our episode. And uh, I don't know. K 
Kayla Janice, if you listen to this, hit us up. Uh, so with that, that's the end of this episode. We will be back in two weeks, Matt. What are we going to be doing? Ah, uh, yes. So uh, from folk horror to fascism, <laughs> we are talking about a series of movies that are going to find kind of connective tissue, I guess, in yeah. the upcoming story of Anchi. Yes. So we're looking at the first two Singham films, which Devin and Bruce is a big fan of. Yeah. I think we'll also try and catch Simba. It's streaming on Z5, I believe, which we sometimes have issues with. Uh, so, And I, do, I don't know if we'll be able to see Suryavanshi by the time of the episode. Uh, It'll be an argument. We will see, then. but we'll definitely be discussing, at the very least, the first two Singham films. Yeah, so the Rohit Shetty cop universe yeah uh, you're really looking forward to this i am not i <laughs> simba might be my least favorite Ranbir Singh. Singh film i haven't seen the first two Singham films but i have seen some of the films in the tamil franchise that it's a that it's essentially a remake of so yeah we'll see we'll from, see <laughs> from what i get from the trailers and kind of just things that crop up online it's like over the top action sequences lots and of slaps slaps and whipping his belt out and beating people up and grabbing someone out of a flipping car yeah. so i mean like i love chevet but it's that abuse of power that i think is probably going to bother me i am excited that suryavanchi is potentially signaling a return to the cinema a return to that kind of masala big screen bollywood action film so yeah yeah we're gonna talk about singham it's gonna be good is it? Yeah. Well, the episode's going to be good. Oh, I'm of course. I'm confident in our good. episode. All the episodes in, are good. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? At Bollywood Pod, at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. You're at Aaron E. Fraser. Uh, Bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com. Facebook.com slash Bollywoodisforlovers. Uh, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher service. It's been mm-hmm. so long. Just a crumb of review, please. We'll give you some biffle points. You'll get, you'll get the biffle points. They're so good. Uh, while you're leaving that rating and review, you can download my other show that I do with Paul Matwichuk called Trash Art and the Movies. We just recorded a Halloween episode uh, about our love for Brendan Fraser. Uh, and so we discuss uh, The Mummy, obviously, and the drama Gods and Monsters, which is about the horror director James Whale. And a uh, hot guy. <laughs> and a very attractive Brendan Fraser. I maybe You can maybe... Hear the drool through the microphone? I don't know. Um, it was a new mic, too, and you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, it was a new mic, and I drooled all over it thinking about Brandon Fraser. Uh, we also want to give a shout-out to uh, Becca Dalkey for our artwork. And okay. happy Halloween, everyone. I was going to say Decca Balky, but you saved it. <laughs> happy Halloween, everyone.